called That's My. We've talked about That's My. We talked about That's My Jesus, uh, My Promise. We've talked about That's My Palm. We talked about That's My Cross. We talked about That's My Tomb. And today, I want to talk about a sermon entitled That's My Jesus. That's my Jesus. You know, it's great to have a promise. It's wonderful to have a palm or a praise. We wouldn't be able to live the way we live today if we didn't have a cross. Life would be empty without an empty tomb. But until we understand that we have a Jesus that made all of that come alive, that made all of that possible, we don't fully understand how our life can be impacted. This morning I want you to open your Bibles with me. Amen. Luke chapter 24, we're going to begin reading in verse number 13. If you're new with us and you wonder why everybody just yelled, we get excited about the Word of God. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Please stand with me for the reading of the Word. This is what the Bible says. It says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things that had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. And and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word from God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, a certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, then they came saying they had also seen visions of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all the prophets, in all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he expounded them all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. 
And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, and while he opened the scripture to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them uh, gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he, w- how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your power, for your majesty, for your peace, for your mercy. And Lord, I pray that you would allow me to speak your word with life, with victory, with authority, and with strength. Lord, send your mercy and send your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. As I began to look at this passage of Scripture, I began to understand where these two were on the road to Emmaus. As they walked the path, as they walked down the road, they were sad because all they knew is that Jesus had died. Now the reports are there that he's not in the tomb anymore. They don't know what happened. They're confused. They're, 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 uh, um, unclear at what's going on. Have you ever been in a place where you just don't know what's happening? You, you don't know. You don't know how, how do you proceed? Cause you don't know how to deal with the situation cause you don't even know where you're at. But as they walk, Jesus himself comes and walks with them. I begin to read this story as we often do around this season of the year. And I begin to think about, that's my Jesus. Every one of us in this room, I'm confident, wants to have a relationship with Jesus. We want to know who he is. We want to understand him. Many of us don't. We don't understand everything we know about Jesus. We, because all we know about him is what we find out on Sunday morning. We come to church hoping that maybe some pastor, some teacher will give us something that will teach us about this man, Jesus. But we're much like these two on the road to Emmaus. Our eyes have been restrained. The Lord did not allow them to recognize him. He was veiled from their knowledge. We spend a lot of time being veiled from the knowledge of God. We don't know why he's doing this, why we had to face this situation, why we had to face this circumstance, that that, that trial, that trouble, that, that heartache. Why did that person do this to me? Why did this ha- Why did I get this disease? Why do I have to go through this trial at work? Why did my husband be the husband that cheated on me? Why did my wife be the wife that abandoned me? Why were my kids not the kids that were obedient and did what? 
was godly. Why is it me that has to go through the troubles? We go through trials and tribulations and we wonder why. We feel like we don't even know who he is. Our eyes are restrained. But as I began to look at this story of these two men whose eyes were restrained, I began to see some things that did not work. There are some things that we try that will not give us the vision of Christ. There are things that seem simple. They seem obvious. It seems like it would be the way to go, but it doesn't work that way. The first thing that I see is that walking with him did not open their eyes. Walking with him did not open their eyes. The Bible says they were walking to Emmaus. And they were sad, and all of a sudden, Jesus came up and began to walk with him, with them. Oh, some of us think, if I could just walk with Jesus. If I could just walk with Jesus. Walking is not enough. Long before Beth got MS, we had met, and we didn't like each other. Through a series of events, we had become best friends but we were just friends anybody ever heard him well we're they're just my friend yeah well my boys say oh they're just my friend i'm like yeah so was your mama she was just my friend i would actually go out on dates when i get back to campus from my date i would go buzz her room she'd come down and we would walk together And I would tell her all about my date. About the latest girl that I thought was it. Walking together did not make us get married. Walking together allowed us maybe to get to know each other. She knew all my secrets. She knew all my lines. But it didn't make us a couple. See, I'm afraid that too many people think that walking with Jesus makes them a Christian. Some of you think that coming to church makes you a Christian. Some of you think that because you walk the pathway of a Christian, it means you are a Christian. Well, I'm good. I do everything basically right. I do what I, 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 I try to follow after him. Let me tell you something. Walking with Jesus isn't what it takes. It takes more than coming to church. One of my great friends and mentors, uh, Bishop Les Higgins, preached a sermon many years ago, and I've quoted it many times here. He got up, and I don't know if it's original him. He probably stole it from somebody else. But he got up and said, if going to church makes you a Christian, then standing in the garage makes you a car. (laughs) 
you got to understand that walking the walk doesn't do it. Let me tell middle America something. Just because you're a good old boy doesn't mean you're a believer in God. Just because you make good decisions and you're morally right doesn't mean that you're going to go to glory when Jesus comes back. Mm. Us that have grown up in the South and the Midwest, we think if we're nice enough, if we walk the walk, if we go through the motions, if we go to church on Easter and Christmas, and maybe we'll even be a little more holy, and we'll go a few other weeks here and there, and we think that the walking with God will make it right. I got news for you. It takes more than a stroll with Jesus to have your name on the roll that Jesus is writing. I got got news for you, church. We, we have come to a place that we're like the two on the Emmaus. They were walking, and Jesus walked with them, but they still didn't know who he was. They didn't understand his power. They didn't understand his authority. They didn't understand his victory. They didn't know how to praise him. Oh, how can I tell if people are walking with God, but they're not in a relationship with God? You don't know how to praise God. See, it's not Easter anymore. I can get mean. Because I wasn't mean last week. Let me tell you something. When we walk in the house of God and we go through the motions, we're just walking. When we're just treading water, we're just walking. When you know who he is, you begin to celebrate. When you know who you're walking with. Let me, let me, and I, no, I'm going to spread that out. I'll come back to that later. When, when you begin to know who it is that you're with, then it begins to change what you feel. They were walking along sad because of what they've been going, been seeing and happening. But walking with Jesus did not change their sadness. They still walked in pain. They still walked in heartache. They still because they did not know who was walking with them. If you're coming in and out of church, you're walking in and out of your life, and nothing's getting better. Maybe you need to try to find out who you're walking with. Maybe we need to go beyond walking. Walking did not open their eyes. Just walking the walk doesn't do the job. Talking with them with him did not open their eyes. He comes up and he says, "What kind of conversation is this?" That you're walking around being so sad about. Boy, does that not sound like the modern American church. Well, uh, my God said he would supply all my needs, but he hasn't supplied any of my needs yet. We walk and we talk, but we walk and we talk in sadness and gloom, despair, and agony on me. We think... That everything that we have has been, we suffer for Christ. Us Pentecostals say this all the time, but us Pentecostals have this idea that unless we're suffering for Christ, we don't know who he is. I got news for you. The reason we're suffering for Christ is because we don't know who he is. I don't suffer 
if I know who can fix my suffering. Talking to him. He began to open up the Bible to them. The Bible says starting in the book of Genesis and with the prophets, he expounded on everything. They were walking seven miles. I walk three miles a day, twice a month. No, I'm kidding. I, I try to walk three miles a day. And, 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 and my average pace is about 2.7 miles an hour. So, so to get seven miles, I would have to walk for about a little over two hours. And I can tell you that last three hours, I would probably slow down. Now, I'm betting they were in better shape than I was because they walked everywhere. But, so for two hours, let's say, Jesus preached a two-hour sermon to them. They still didn't know him. You don't find Christ because somebody preaches a sermon to you. Talking to him did not open their eyes. Oh, let's go back to Beth. Me and Beth didn't like each other. I gave her some bad advice. And, and because of that bad advice, we've started talking more. We would go on walks. Every time we saw each we talked. We would talk hours at a time. We talked about everything. It didn't make us a couple. It did not make us a couple just because we talked. I'm about to rock somebody's world and mess up somebody's theology. Just because you go to prayer meeting doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you hear the preacher preach doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you pray a prayer doesn't mean you're a Christian. You see, we got this idea that if we can talk to him, it'll be okay. But I'm going to tell you, we live in a day and age where we talk to everything. We have convinced ourselves that a little conversation will make us right. So in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our sin, we go, oh, Lord, help me. I'm not going to change what I'm doing, but God, I'm talking to you while I do it. God, God, I'm going to do what I want to do, but I'm going to talk to you while I do what I want to do. So because I talk to you, I got to be okay. You hear me when I pray. Yeah, he hears you, but that doesn't mean he has made you his. It doesn't mean that you have recognized who he is. Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say I know a lot of people who are... but they don't know who Christ is. They're they're, they're walking the right paths. They're saying the right things, but they still have not had their eyes opened up enough to see who Jesus Christ is in this world and in their life. I believe with all of my heart that these two that were on a road to Emmaus They were walking. Jesus said they were sad. He began to talk to them. 
I don't believe that they were, I believe they were still sad. They may have gotten mad. You ever had God speak to you when you're not doing right? It ain't fun. It's not, it's not enjoyable. And, and, And sometimes they were walking on that path and they hear, they hear Jesus as he's expounding the scriptures about himself. And they're going, yeah, we've heard all that. We know all that, but we still haven't seen that. You can talk about it all you want, but until we see it, we're still going to hurt. We're still going to suffer. We're still going to be in pain. We're still going to, we're, we're still going to hurt. I got news for you. The reason we're still hurting after we've walked with him and after we've talked to him is because we have still yet to recognize him we've got to get to a place that we learn to recognize who Christ is that we learn that we've got to get to a place that our eyes are no longer restrained we can see we can understand but pastor how do we get there We've tried walking the walk. We've become religious. We do the right things. We follow the right rules. We've become all the things that men say we should be, but we still don't see Jesus. How are we supposed to recognize him? We say the right things. I would dare say there's a lot of people in the world that talk better than some people in the church. We don't gossip. We don't lie. We don't backbite. We don't curse. We don't speak vulgarly. We say the right things. We can tell you scripture. You ever know somebody can quote the Bible chapter and verse and don't know, wouldn't know Jesus if he walked up and touched him? I've known a few of those. We, 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 know, we know the talk. We can even use all the Christian words. Amen, brother. We use words like sanctified and saved and covered by the blood. But we haven't recognized Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. But we haven't recognized Christ. We say the right things. We've heard all the sermons. We've prayed all the prayers, but we have yet to recognize him. Why? Because this story shows us how to recognize Christ. Communing with him opened their eyes. He turned into their house, sat down at the table, when he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it, the Bible says their eyes were opened and they saw him. Oh, let me go back to Beth. Beth and I didn't like each other. We started walking together. We started talking together. And one night, I brought my girlfriend on campus. And we ran into Beth. And we sat down at a table in the student center at Lee University, or then Lee College. 
And as I sat next to my girlfriend, Beth was on the other side of the table, and my eyes were opened. And I said in my heart, I'm on the wrong side of the table. It was over a table. I don't remember if we had ice cream or sodas or if we had any food or drink. I don't remember. We were sitting at a table, which if you know anything about me, if I'm at a table, I'm eating something. And as I looked across that table and I saw her, my eyes were opened. And I realized that the walking didn't make us a couple and the talking didn't make us a couple, but the time together had built us into a couple. And that night, I asked her out. She made me break it with my girlfriend before she had answered me, which I didn't think was fair. But (laughs) we got together because we knew how to communicate and commune together. As we built our relationship, we broke up. And I was in Oklahoma. She was in Tennessee. And and, and and we broke up, and but the relationship didn't die. I would go out with other girls, I'd still call her. When we got back together, it was for this reason. I realized that it would be very awkward for me to marry somebody else. And on my wedding night, say, excuse me, dear, I'll be in in a minute. I need to call Beth and let her know how the wedding went. Thought that might be a little awkward. So I figured the only way to avoid that was to marry her. So I did 26 years ago this last week. Amen. And um, you know what's made our marriage strong? Pastor, are we talking about marriage or talking about God? I'm telling you it's the same thing. You know what made our marriage strong? Dinner table. There's something about eating together. There's something about eating together, communing together, partaking together. In our family, we made the dinner table a priority. Every night, us and our two boys, the whole time our kids were growing up, just about every night we sat down at dinner and had dinner together at a table, not in a couch watching TV, at a table eating. And we told stories and we talked and we found out what was going on in that day. And, and we, found, we, we, we found out, you know, what girls the boys liked and how they didn't like them. And, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we learned all those things. Now our boys are gone. And most nights, me and Beth sit down at a dinner table, just the two of us, and eat. You know why? It's the basis of our relationship. Now, Pastor, what does that have to do with God? When was the last time you sat down with God and ate? Come on, come on. When was the last time you sat down over the bread of life, the meat of the word, and not just read it, devour it? Today, we're going to have communion. God instituted the Passover so that his children would remember 
that he had passed over their houses when the death angel came and that he had delivered them out of Egypt. It was a meal designed to remember God's deliverance. In Jesus' last Passover, he took communion, the bread and the wine, which had always symbolized him. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember me. I want you to have a relationship with me. I want it to be something that goes beyond walking and talking, but it goes to the very substance by which you live. We cannot have a relationship with God. Our eyes cannot be open to who he really is in our life. If all we ever do is walk with him and talk with him, somewhere we've got to sit down and eat with him. Sometimes we got to sit down with him and we've got to let it just be about us and him. When I finally did ask Beth out, we went and worked a church event. That was our first date. Babysitting kids at a church and they put us in two different age groups. But then after that, I took her to a fine steakhouse and we sat down and had steak sandwiches together. Golden Arches Steakhouse. We, I guess they were steak hamburger. I don't know. They may not have been steak sandwiches. They may have been cardboard sandwiches because I don't know if the Golden Arches has steak. But, but we ate together. When was the last time you sat down and communed with God? Do you know what communing means? It means back and forth, give and take. It means I talk to him and he talks to me. Oh, God ain't ever talked to me. It's because you haven't stopped long enough to listen. Because too many of you do all the talking. You tell God what the problem is. You tell God what's going on. And then we have a tendency to tell God how to fix it. I know that not everybody in here is a control freak like I am. But I catch myself once in a while going, now, God, what you need to do is you need to do this, this, and this. God, what you need to do is you need to grab a hold of my wife and make her listen to me. We got this whole great relationship thing going, but she doesn't pay attention to what I say. You need to put her in her place. I'll pay for that one later. But we go through that thing. Instead of communing with God, where we say, God, here is my issue. But what do you want me to do? And God will talk to you. Sometimes it's a yell, loud yell in your spirit. You don't hear nothing audible, but you know what God said. Sometimes I've heard the audible voice of God. Where God, there was no mistaking what God said. But we've got to get to a place that we commune with him. He did it over the breaking of bread. In just a few moments, I'm going to have the ushers come and serve us communion. It's going to be the, probably one of the more different communions you've ever been in. I'm not going to read the passage. 
from Matthew where he breaks the bread and blesses the cup. I'm not going to read from Acts as Paul reiterates what Jesus did. But today what we're going to do is we're going to commune with God. Today I invite you to go on a date with Jesus Christ. We're not just walking with him. We're not just talking with him. But we're going to commune with him. We're going to let our heart speak to his heart. We're going to let our spirit communicate with his spirit. And we're going to let his spirit communicate with our spirit. His heart talk to our heart. All of a sudden, we're going to go to a level where maybe some of you for the first time can understand that this is not a religious thing. This is not a, 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 a format. This is not a, a, a tradition. But this is a relationship. You have been called a friend of God. God says that he is preparing us to the, as the church to be the bride of Christ. He doesn't want a bride that doesn't know him. He doesn't want a bride that doesn't recognize him. I've picked on Beth all the way through this service. We didn't like each other when we met. We went through all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you on April the 24th of 1993, I stood in front of a building. And when Beth walked in a door over here and walked over to the center aisle, I couldn't see her face because she had a veil on. But I could see the glow of joy in her eyes. And as she walked down that center aisle, I signed language, I-L-O-V-E-Y-O-U to her. And, and, and I think I even spelled it right. And, and I worked for weeks learning how to do that. And, and I, I signed language to her that I loved her. And when she got to the front of that church, we started a 45-year-long wedding ceremony. It took us forever in five days to get married. And... and we had two preachers and three singers and communion and commissioning prayers in the ministry and all this junk, I mean stuff, powerful stuff. I only know one thing that happened. At, well, actually, I know two. At some point in that ceremony, I said I do, supposedly when I was supposed to, and she said I do, which I was just waiting to hear. Nobody said they shouldn't. That was a good sign. And when we did communion, I pulled more bread off than I should have. Had to throw some of it in the floor. Uh, that's the only things I remember about our wedding. The rest of our wedding, it was communing between me and her. We were eye to eye. Those eyes were twinkling about like they are right now. Look, she won't even look at me. She, she, she won't even look at me. Those eyes were just a twinkling, and we were giggling, and we were. <laughs> we had gotten past the not liking each other. 
We ain't gotten past to just walking together. We ain't gotten past to just talking together. Now, 26 years of marriage later, we don't even have to talk to communicate. I can look at her and I know what she's thinking. She can look at me and know what I'm thinking. I know if I look over there and she makes certain looks while I'm preaching, that means that I need to move on and get off of what I'm talking about. Or maybe it means that the time is getting pushed out. Whatever. I know if she's over there going... That doesn't mean her throat itches. That means it's time to shut it down. Service is over. You know, we, we don't have to talk anymore because we commune with each other. We have communication with each other. Today, what I want for you is to move beyond the walking and talking of tradition. Move beyond the walking and talking of religion and move into the communion of relationship with Christ. Because when you begin to understand who it is that we are remembering, you don't have to worry about the problems anymore. When you understand the who it is, of who's been walking with you and talking with you, when you have a true relationship with them, then the healings become natural. The victories, the encouragement becomes second nature. The joy becomes unspeakable. Why? Because you know that they can handle it. You know that, they've, that they can take care of it. You know that he is able I want us to go beyond tradition and religion to relationship. I want to ask the ushers to come if they will. And I'm going to ask them to serve you. Communion. Amy, if you would come and play something. Go ahead and serve them, and then I'll pray. As they're making their way around to serve everybody, it's what I want you to do. I want you to stop walking. I want you to stop talking. And I want you to stand, sit, however. But I want you to just be in the presence of the Almighty God. I, I, I want you to look at him with your heart's eye, with the eye of the Spirit. I want you to gaze into the awesomeness of God. I want you to peer into the passion of the Christ. I, I, I want you to let Jesus look at you. Let Jesus see the things you've been trying to hide. Go beyond the walk 
go beyond the talk. I want you to get real with Christ. I want you to begin to show him who you are and let him show you who he is. Just for a few moments as they service, just commune with God. The Bible says that as they got to Emmaus, they convinced him to stay. And as they sat down at the table, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He wants to be connected to you. He wants to be Connected to who you are. I believe today that he wants to show you who he is. As we break this bread, I want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you right now. And Lord, I ask that you would bless this bread. Lord, we know it's symbolic of your body that was broken for us. But Lord, today... As we partake of this bread, Lord, I want you to open our eyes and let us see who you are. Let us see your presence. Let us see your glory. Let us see your power. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Would you partake of the bread? Lord, open our eyes. I want you to begin to notice who Christ is in your life. Begin to think about the things that he's done for you. Begin to think about the times that he's delivered you. Begin to think about the time that he's blessed you. See who he is. Then we have the cup. The cup is the covenant of the blood. The cup is the true picture of who he is to us. He is our Savior. He is the one that paid the price with his blood for our salvation. He paid the price. The cup is the true picture of who our relationship is with. It's with the one who bought us with a great price. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we partake of this cup. And Lord, as we do, Lord, I want us to celebrate who you are. Your power, your anointing, your peace, and the price that you paid for me. Lord, you are 
our friend, our hope, our love, our life. Lord, we thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Partake of the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you're not a God that is so so beyond us that we can't have a relationship with you. Lord, but rather you're a God who has chosen, who has chosen us, not because we can only serve you, but because you want to bless us, because you love us, because you want to encourage us. Lord, let us begin to commune with you. Let us find what it means to truly see you. That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. My Jesus. Personal, relational, real, alive, life-changing. That's my Jesus. Sing that song. Sing that song. I won't sit up for you. Lord, you're overwhelming to us. Lord, we want to melt into your peace. We want to melt into your glory. Lord, we want to be in your presence. Lord, 
let us sing the In Jesus' name we pray. I want to see that your feet fling the good love in your head. Lay back against you and breathe. Feel your heart beat. This love is so sweet. It's more than I can stay. I'm melting your peace. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming, Lord. Your love is overwhelming, God. Lord, let us walk in your power. Not in our knowledge. Let us talk under your anointing, not under our hurt. And let us sit in your presence. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here today. I want to invite you to be back tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to be talking, preaching a sermon called Let's Talk About Unity. And we're going to be talking about unity tonight. Look forward to seeing you tonight at 6 o'clock. Shake hands, be friendly, tell somebody you love them, everybody, God loves them, you're dismissed.